You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Peak Church, located in Apex, North Carolina. Our church is striving to welcome all who are feeling disconnected from God. And so our hope is that over the next several minutes, you will connect with the God that we are talking about, and you'll resonate deeply with the life that this God wants for you. We hope you enjoy. Welcome to The Peak, and welcome to what is our final week of a sermon series we've been in for the last couple of weeks, ever since the beginning of November, entitled Good Grief. Good Grief. Uh, In anticipation of the holidays, one of the things that we felt called to do, felt led to do this season, was to carve out and create space for those of us who are either coming out of a season of grief or, or and or, heading into one, heading into one. And for us, this was a really cool opportunity we felt to not only give space for folks who are in that season spiritually and emotionally and physically, but to also do some teaching on what actually grief is. You see, uh, over the course of the last couple weeks, what we've done is we've unpacked that there's a multitude of different forms and fashions of grief. There is the grief that many of us are exposed to regularly, we're most aware of. This is the grief that happens when we lose a person, a person, so through death, through a divorce, through breakup, through a family falling out uh, sort of situation. But we also unpacked last week, and this is where Ben, uh, who was our guest preacher last week, shared that there's also a grief that we go through uh, when it's not a person you've lost, but a plan. Maybe there was a dream you always had for your life, a vision for the future, a thing that you always thought, I, will, I, want, to, I want to be here when I reach this age, or I want to be at this stage when I get around uh, this point, only to have it never come to fruition. You see, friends, uh, part of what we've been unpacking is that grief is actually a lot more broad than you think it is. And uh, it's actually a lot more widely encountered than you think it is. You see, uh, for me, the operating definition I've been working with is that uh, grief happens any and every time you and I go through an undesirable change. An undesirable change. I built like a little equation because I'm a visual person. It looks kind of like this. Anytime you or I go through any type of undesirable change at work, in your marriage, in your family, in life, health-wise, anytime we go through undesired change, there's loss. Maybe it's a loss of confidence in another person or maybe it's a loss of confidence in yourself. And any time and every time we go through loss, there is grief. And so if this is your first time here with us today, again, we're glad you're here, and we've been having this conversation for the last couple weeks, so if this is the season of life you find yourself in, I would strongly encourage you to check out the podcast or our YouTube channel, and you can find these messages. But today what we're going to do is we're actually going to, again, this is the last week of this sermon series. This is just a short little mini-series. And for this last week, what we felt really called to do uh, was to ask and seek to answer a really timely and I think a really appropriate question that sort of encircles this conversation on grief. You see, in four days, many of us in here or elsewhere, we're going to travel and we're going to celebrate Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Uh, Or as my family likes to call it, uh, Stretchy Pants Awareness Day. So Stretchy Pants Awareness Day. You can actually buy these on the the stovetop website for $19.99, okay? $19.99. These could be yours. Anytime we do this, though, I show things on the screens, I'm always a little bit weary because last time I did this, it was a red lobster Christmas sweater. Guess what came in the mail two weeks later at my house? So 
I don't want these. This is not like a hidden plug that I'm like really starving for some of that. Like I'm huh, starving, but I don't want them. I don't want them. I don't want them. But seriously, seriously, in four days, in four days, we celebrate Thanksgiving, the day where we call attention to, we remember all the things in our lives that are going well, the things we're thankful for, the things that are good, the gifts that we've received in life. And the problem is, is if you're going through a season of grief at the same time, Thanksgiving almost in some regards feels wrong. It feels ill-timed. It feels impossible. Or maybe it like you feel guilty about it. How in the world can I pause and be grateful for all the good things in my life when I know this person that's suffering or I'm really suffering or I'm, I can't share this at the dinner table, but I'm really going through a lot in my personal life. There's a struggle, I think, in Christianity as well as it relates to these two things and how they interrelate with one another, gratitude and grief. And so today, that's the very question I want to seek to answer today. I want to sort of begin to answer is in the Christian life, how do these two things relate to one another? In some regards, they feel like opposites. You can't be grateful and be going through grief at the same time. So I want to ask this question. I want to dig into it and wrestle with it a little bit today. In the Christian life, how do these two things relate to one another? Grief and gratitude. Can you have them both? Should you have them both? How am I supposed to relate with each of them? And thankfully for today, our teacher is someone who knows a little something about grief. And so, if you have your Bibles with you, let's go and return to our passage for today. So, uh, if, you're, again, if you're watching this online or if you're here in person, you want to track along as we're going through. Today, we're camped out in Psalm chapter 30. Psalm chapter 30. And uh, the person who wrote the Psalms, so uh, wrote this particular Psalm, I should say, uh, is a guy by the name of David. A guy by the name of David. And what's helpful for you and I to know about David is David is no stranger to grief. He's no stranger to grief. He's been through all kinds of types of grief, right? So he went through uh, the, the second type of grief. This is the grief we talked about last week where it's not a person you're grieving but a plan. He had all kinds of plans for his life that didn't come true. He had this amazing vision for his life that he was like, I'm going to be the first king to build God a temple. And God's like, uh, yeah, about that. Um, yeah, you ain't going to do that. And so he's sort of like wrestles with that. And he's like, okay, well, at least, at least I'll, I'll be a really successful king and uniting the people of Israel and holding us all together and letting us be a sort of all for God's heart. And then at the end of his life, a civil war breaks out, a revolution breaks out. People within the, within the people of Israel create factions and they're sort of calling for uh, getting rid of David. And so he goes through the grief that we talked about last week when you lose a plan for your life, a vision for your life. And at the same time, he's not a stranger to the first type either. Because for those of you who don't know David's story, one of the people responsible for leading the rebellion against his kingdom was his son, who gets killed in battle. A battle to overtake his dad's kingdom. I mean, like, that's just like grief on top of grief, right? And so I say all that to say, when you hear this passage... This is a trusted voice. This is someone we can actually listen to who knows a little something about this topic, okay? And so in Psalm chapter 30, he's writing this prayer. He's writing this uh, sort of like working through his own journey of grief and walking all the things he's been through. And what's so fascinating is that about midway through uh, this first stanza, he finds it somewhere in himself 
to give thanks. Amidst all of the crud he's been through, all the loss, he finds it in himself to give thanks. What does it say? Verse 4. So you go, it says, uh, I, he's thinking about uh, the times where his enemies were celebrating over him. He recounts the time where he felt like he was in a grave and he was going down to the pit. Verse 4, you who are faithful to the Lord, sing praises to him, give thanks to his holy name. And so again, it poses this question. It poses this question of like, how do these two things relate to one another? How, can, how do gratitude and grief sort of coexist with one another? And so today what I want to do is I want to talk about healthy relationships between those two things. And I also want to talk about very unhealthy relationships between gratitude and grief. Okay? Let's do the first one. Uh, let's do unhealthy first. Let's do unhealthy first. So uh, a couple of unhealthy relationships between gratitude and grief in us uh, is actually, if you go back to the story, you go, or you go back to the psalm, Psalm chapter 30, just pay very, very close attention that nowhere in Psalm chapter 30 did David pretend he didn't go through anything hard. Never did he downplay it and say it wasn't really painful for him. Nowhere, unless I missed it, nowhere in Psalm chapter 30 does he uh, say, like, all of our favorite Christian cliches. Well, you know, it just, it all happens for a reason, and so we're just here to trust Jesus, and so the door's been closed, but there's a window. We're going to find it, and we're going to climb out, and it's going to be great. Like, nowhere in Psalm chapter 30 do we hear David talking like that. You hear Christians talking like that. You don't hear David talking like that. He's real and honest about the times where his grief almost did him in. And so I think from that, we get the unhealthy relationship, which is this. If you want to have an unhealthy relationship between gratitude and grief, use gratitude this way. Use gratitude to numb your grief. If you want to do it in an unhealthy way, use gratitude to numb your grief. Use gratitude to suppress your grief. Use your gratitude to pretend you're not actually going through anything painful. The best physical illustration of this, the best physical illustration of this, of, of the emotional uh, situation going on here, uh, is whenever you, you see this every time you witness another person get injured in public. So yesterday, I'm at Target, okay? Um, and we're shopping for all of our Christmas decorations because my wife suffers from the same illness that Amanda does. And so... Um, <laughs> We're there doing all of our shopping, getting all of our things, and uh, I was sent to pick out the candle. Now, some of you know there's men in this room whose palms are sweating because you're just, like, this is a very big responsibility, okay? You can have 14 candles in your house right now, but I was sent to the store because we're not going to smell clean linen during the week of Thanksgiving. We're going to smell autumn harvest, or we're going to smell fall walks, or we're going to smell balsam fir, something that's rings of the season, right? And so I go there, I'm on a mission, and I run into another husband, same thing. He's been sent on the same mission. It's obvious. He's huffing, he's puffing, he's like digging, in the, in the, like all up in the shelves and stuff. I'm patient, me and Evan are patient, we're sitting there, we're waiting, we're giving him his space, he's getting in there, he's going to make it happen. He grabs his can he grabs, finally grabs one. I hear him go, got it! And he pulls it out. He pulls it out. And as he's coming out, he smacks his head on the top of the shelf. Now, now, there's a couple of ways to societally handle these type of interactions. 
And if you're a genuinely loving, caring human being, you know what you're supposed to do? Pretend you didn't see a thing. Pretend you didn't see nothing. Like when he smacked his head, typically on a normal day, I go, oh, okay, like we're looking at the bed sheets. <laughs> we're looking at the bed sheets. This is a thousand count. This is great. Okay. So that he doesn't know that I know, and then we can all just move on with our lives. I was caught off guard. I was off my game a little bit. Everett was bothering me. And so I, he hit his head. We locked eyes. He knows I know. And he goes, it's fine. It's fine. I got it. I got honey. I got it. Autumn harvest. And he runs off smiling, probably suffering from a concussion. <laughs> but this is what we do. This is what we do. That's a s- silly example of something we do physically, but we do it emotionally all the time. We go through something immensely painful, and we bury it in gratitude. We bury it in cliches. We bury it. And on, on a serious note, this is something as a pastor, actually, that I, I get really concerned about. I get really concerned whenever I learn of someone who has been through something unbelievably traumatic, experienced a miscarriage, lost their job, just got diagnosed with a terminal illness. I always get really concerned when the first time I interact with them or the first thing I see on Facebook is them just like, gratitude, 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 God's good, God's good, God's good. Now, I want to be careful here. What I'm not saying is that if if that's genuine, if that's genuine, that's great. That's beautiful. That's wonderful. And I'm happy for them that they're finding a lot of peace and hope and, and, and thankfulness in the midst of what is really, really trying. But I always, as a pastor, just have a quick moment of concern that I, I say to myself, man, I hope. What I hope is not happening is I hope they're not feeling like they need to inject themselves with hope and gratitude so that other people don't judge them and other people don't think less of the God that they follow. I just quietly always have that hope for them. Because, friends, if gratitude is something you use to mask your anger and your real, honest feelings about what you're going through, I just don't find Jesus in any of that. I don't find Jesus in any of that. Quite frankly, uh, you ready for this? I'm going to blow your mind with something. You ready for this? Not once in the entire Gospels do you actually find Jesus coming alongside someone and commanding them to be grateful. Not one time. Did you know that? Not a single time do we find Jesus walking up to someone and saying, hey, so um, let's be more thankful, okay? Like not a single time do we see Jesus doing this. Why? Why? It's because Jesus, in his infinite wisdom, understands that if you use gratitude on somebody who isn't ready to be grateful yet, gratitude becomes a weapon of shame rather than an instrument of healing. If you force someone to be thankful, force someone to be grateful, before they're ready, it becomes a bad word instead of a good one. And that leads to the other one. I want to make sure we we point out both of them, both of the unhealthy relationships. So the first relationship is when I use gratitude in my own life in that way. The other is when I use it on other people in that way, right? So here's the other unhealthy form. Number two, the other unhealthy form of gratitude is not only using gratitude to numb your own grief, but using gratitude to erase other people's grief. You've been around people like this before? 
you like can't share bad news. You can't share the things that you're struggling with because what they do is they bury you in at least statements. Well, at least you have your health. Or at least this is going well, right? They try everything they can to get you out of the pain, the pit that you're in. And some of you have been on, like, oh, some of you, and I'm, and I'm so sorry, some of you have been on the receiving end of what I've heard is probably the most painful and harmful, most destructive, at least, statements I've ever heard. Some of you have heard the words from friends, loved ones. Well, at least you know you can get pregnant. Uh, well, you know, at least you had some time with your dad, with your mom, with your brother, with your sister. And what's so hard is they always mean well. And I've spoken them. I have always meant well. And the problem is they hurt someone's healing instead of helping it. And so... Um, if Jesus not a single time, by the way, if Jesus not a single time comes alongside someone who's suffering, someone who's been marginalized, someone who's being oppressed, someone who's poor and says, hey, let's be grateful. If Jesus doesn't do that, then I think actually we all get to have permission, okay? We all get permission that in four days, four days on Thanksgiving, friends, I believe you have permission from Jesus to either A, limit, or B, skip out on time with people who refuse to make space for your grief, Okay? You have permission to skip out or severely limit the amount of time you spend with those persons. Just make up a code word with your family. Something that you would like never say that would get your spouse's attention or your friend's attention. Something, again, something you'd never say. Something like, oh, I'd love more cranberry sauce, please. Please give me more of the cranberry sauce. I would love, love that. If I said that, my wife would be like, Kyle's having a stroke. Like, we need to get out of this house right now. There is something majorly wrong. But you have permission. You have permission to spend time and space in the places where God actually has the ability to heal you. Instead of being surrounded by people who will just should on you the whole time. Well, you should be more grateful. You should be farther along. You should be happy. So that's the unhealthy. That's the unhealthy, right? That's the, with these two interact in an unhealthy way, that's what it looks like. But there's also, again, healthy ways for us to live with these two things. I think there's also really powerful ways in which gratitude, thinking of my own life personally, has saved me in the midst of my grief. And so let's explore some of that too, right? I don't want to just leave you with the negative. Let's explore some of that too. What are some of the places where there's a positive relationship between grief and gratitude. Let's go back to our passage. So in Psalm chapter 30, the other thing that I want you to pay very close attention to is that uh, in verse 4, go back to the verse we read earlier, um, this is what's called a communal psalm. This is what's called a communal psalm. So what that means is that David wrote it for himself, but he wrote it in such a way that he knew eventually it would be read, recited in a public space of worship or something like that for other people. How do we know that? Because he says this, you who are faithful... You who are faithful to the Lord, sing praises to him. Give thanks to his holy name. And what's fascinating, again, like we talked about earlier, those words are coming out of his grief. It's not talking about, well, you know, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to trump the grief. It's, it's alongside the grief, alongside the pain, alongside the loss, 
alongside those things, let's also be sure to give thanks. And I think wisely what David is doing here is he's helping us as human beings. He's helping us sort of expand our gaze, expand our vision so that we don't only see the negative, right? So relationship number one that's really healthy is using gratitude to widen our lenses. Widen our lenses. I don't know if you are like me, but if you are, for me, I need something to widen my lens when I'm going through grief and suffering and hardship because when I'm going through those seasons, that's all I look at. I focus all my energy, all my anxiety, all of my mental energies on the thing that's wrong, the thing that I'm mad about, the thing that I'm sad about, and I only see that. And what David is doing is he's helping us understand that if you can entertain gratitude for a brief moment in those places, it'll expand your lenses so that you not get rid of or erase the loss, but remind yourself that's not the whole story. That's not the whole picture. I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example from my own life. So during the pandemic, about six months uh, into COVID, about six months into the pandemic, um, is when we first started losing people as a church. So we first started losing people as a church. And um, the people we lost, the people we lost in the early stages of the pandemic meant a great, great deal to me. They meant a great deal to me. These weren't people who just like popped in, popped out every two years or whatever. These are people who <laughs> I baptized their children. I served them on leadership. I buried some of their parents. Like, these are people who I have done life with. And the most I was given was a very brief breakup email saying, you know, oh, we're just going through, some, we're just searching for different things, and we're just going to go somewhere else. We want to talk about it, though. And other times, I got crickets. They would vanish overnight, and I never got to say a word to them. I never got to hear anything from them. And maybe this is just helpful for you to understand a little bit of the inside sneak peek of a pastor's life. We feel all of those. All of those. And every single time it happened, it sent me into a deeper, deeper space of grief. And there was a stint during the pandemic where that was literally all I saw. It's all I thought about. It's all I felt was the loss and the pain and the anger and the sadness and the confusion of like, why? Like, I thought we were closer. I thought, like, we were, we, I thought I deserved more than just that. Like, I thought we were in this. I thought we were on mission together. And then it's just like in a moment, you're gone. Like, I, for a season, it was all I could think about. And then something happened. Actually, maybe more accurately put, it wasn't something happened my ability to see something happened changed. You see, then I started going through a season where there were good things in my life showing up. Good things in my life showing up at home. So my kids were doing great things. They're thriving, they're growing. My wife graduated from her program. She went back to school during the pandemic. Good things were happening here at the church. We're welcoming new people into our peak family to join us for this next era of this mission together. And eventually I just heard this quiet voice in my spirit say, there can be good stuff, too. There can be good stuff, too. And for the first time in my life, I felt like I was being given permission 
to hold both. That I didn't have to pick. I didn't have to pick between being a person of sorrow or a happy, grateful person. I could actually hold both. That within us as human beings is the capacity to hold both, to be both. And if that sounds counterintuitive to you, let me just remind you that, friends, as Christians, that's actually the call. The call is to live in between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. And so what that means is if you live in the middle, you are constantly going to be holding both death and resurrection. Every day, you're going to have to learn how to hold both. Not trump one over the other, not pick or choose, hold both. It's both and, not either or. This was the first season of my life where I felt like I was actually given permission to hold both. And it was the only way forward. The second uh, healthy relationship uh, that I'll uh, share with you, and the worship team, you can go and go, come on up. Uh, worship team can come back. Um, we are, the second one comes actually at the end of the passage. End of the passage. So when you go back to uh, Psalm chapter 30, what you find is that he says this at the very end. He says this at the very end. So he's talked, again, he's recounted this whole experience of grief. He's recounted this whole experience of going through so much loss. And here, in verses 11 and 12, he too makes a shift. He says these words, God, you changed my mourning into dancing. You took off my funeral clothes and dressed me up in joy so that my whole being might sing praises to you and never stop. Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. And what I love so much about how Psalm 30 ends, how Psalm 30 ends, is it ends with David giving himself permission to live again. Here at the end of this psalm, he's giving himself permission to enjoy life again. He's giving himself permission to dream about the future again. And this is the second uh, relationship. This is the healthiest way in which I've seen gratitude and grief interrelate with one another. Gratitude, if you let it, if you let it, it can be the thing that pulls you out of the darkness, out of the sadness, out of the despair to envision a future of joy and hope again. Gratitude can, if you let it, if you let it. It can be the thing that rescues you from allowing the wound that you experienced to be the single thing that defines the rest of your life. If you let it. Now, as you're hearing this, some of you are sitting there and you're like, you know, that, that sounds interesting. You know, that sounds, you know, I, I hear you, but... Um, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Whenever we dare to re-envision a future for ourselves, to re-enjoy life again in the midst of our grief, and maybe for you it's a multitude of things. Maybe for you as you're listening to this, maybe for you it was, it's deciding to go on a first date again after going through a betrayal or a divorce. Or maybe for you it's, it's trying uh, to have kids again. Or maybe it's for you it's 
throwing your hat in the ring uh, and being interviewed for a job after you had your dream job, you had everything you wanted, and it came crashing down, and so you're like, I don't know, like, I don't know if I want to do this again. I don't know if I want to do this anymore. I hear you. I hear you. And what I'll say is that experience, that feeling that you have uh, is normal. The two most normal things, the two most normal responses that any and every one of us have whenever we decide to entertain having a future of joy and laughter and hope again, every single person in this room will experience some version of these two things, guilt and or fear. Guilt and or fear. The moment you decide to move forward with your life, guilt is super common. That little voice that says, how dare you? Like, what are you doing? How can you just sort of go on and just act like nothing's happening and act like everything's fine and act like everything is, like, you're, did that not mean anything to you? Was that not important to you? There's this really uh, chattery voice that tries to stop you by making you feel guilty about going further. And the other one's obvious. It's fear. How, would, how could you not be afraid if you put your heart on the line for anything and it got wounded? It's normal. It's normal. Everybody feels that, no matter how faithful you are. And maybe you're not ready. And I don't want to force you to be ready, and I'm certainly not going to try to push you to make you ready. But what I do want to say is that when you are, when you are, when you're at least somewhat open to having a future again, I want to say two things that I hope will be liberating to you. Two things that I want you to remember as you leave from this place. The first of which is this. Friends, whenever you decide to go into the future, you begin to uh, move uh, from that place of despair and depression to one of joy and hope and future again. Friends, you're not moving on. You're just moving forward. You hear the difference? You're not moving on. You're moving forward. What's the difference? Moving on connotes that you're just leaving it behind. I'm moving on from this. This person I lost, this dream that got trashed, I'm moving on. I'm leaving it behind. I'm going into the future. What I'm inviting you to, what maybe the Spirit is inviting you to, is not to move on. How could you ever move on? Especially if this is a person, a person who held a piece of you. The invitation is to move forward. And the difference is moving on, you leave them behind. Move forward, you carry them with you. You carry them with you. And the second thing I want to say to you is this, that if there's any part of you that uh, is still going through grief and you're still stuck in your grief and you're still stuck feeling guilty about moving on, moving, sorry, moving forward and moving into the future that God still has for your life, that God still has dreamed for your life, I want you to remember this little phrase, that two deaths don't make it right. Two deaths don't make it right. We're at the saying two wrongs don't make it right. Two deaths don't make it right either. What you went through, what you've been through, the grief that you've gone through, it's awful. It's the worst. For some of you, it's a, it hits a depth I'll never be able to articulate with words. But you choosing from that moment forward to live in nothing but isolation, loneliness, misery, and darkness doesn't redeem that loss. 
unfortunately. It doesn't bring that person back or bring the thing back that you lost, unfortunately. It just doesn't. And so two deaths don't make it right. Allowing death to then claim your life and your future as well is just double painful. And I'm serious about this. Maybe, just maybe, the best way to honor the things that have been ripped and snatched and stolen away from you, maybe the best way to actually honor those things is to live. Is to live. Boldly and courageously live. Those of you who are married in this room, you ever sat down like at the couch and had like that hypothetical conversation, like if one of you died, would, you, would the other one get remarried? You ever had this conversation? Or is that just me and Marie and our sick and twistedness? Okay, great. Um, we had that conversation not too long ago. And I said, would you, would you ever uh, get married? And she didn't even miss a moment. Yes, yes, I, I was like, oh. <laughs> It's kind of fast. Do you want to have like a sympathy pause or <laughs> no, 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 okay, okay, great. But I'll tell you what, like I would be glad. I would be glad to know that my wife went on and found joy found life, found the beautiful, amazing plans that God still had in store for her life. Because that's actually what love wants. And that's who we worship, the one who is love. And so maybe just as a word of encouragement to those of you who feel guilty still. Again, maybe, just maybe the best, best way to bring honor to that thing that you lost, that person you lost, is to live. And maybe, maybe it's just like the feisty part of me, maybe just maybe the best way to stick it to death and all of his friends is to say, yeah, dude, this story ain't over yet. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray one more time. Let the people of God say, Amen. Thank you for listening to the Peak Podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever podcasts can be found. For more information on how to get connected with our church, please visit us at thepeakchurch.org.